3: Again, fellow basement dwellers, this is your good friend Patrick O'Dowd welcoming you into another edition of Bandwagon Nerds, recording here on a gloomy Sunday morning in New England. But my attitude and mood is bright and sunshiny, as Saturday was damn near one of the better Saturdays I've had in a long time. Kicked it off. With my good friend, the lawyer David Ungar, who is with us here on the bandwagon, talking some hockey and prepping for the Frozen Four and talking WrestleMania. Watch the aforementioned Frozen Four title game and saw my beloved employer, UMass Amherst, the UMass Minutemen, win the national championship. Win the win the Frozen Four Did decisively five to nothing it was a a great great game with a little bit of puck luck to start the game uh in the first period that that allowed UMass to get a couple of goals and poor uh St. Cloud State to fall victims to some just some really freakish things and then wrapped it all up with a hell of a first night at Wrestlemania we're recording here on Sunday in front of the the second weekend of Wrestlemania before we get too far along I do want to take listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the chairshot.com, and I am of course joined by my good friend, the lawyer David Ungar, the live studio audience, PC Tunney, and the Reverend Ray Cash got called in for a quick thing at work, might call in a little bit later, so we may get some Ray Cash later on in the the podcast, but gentlemen, how how the heck are we? How are we feeling this Sunday morning, in front of night two, let's start with you,
4: Dave. How you doing, man? Doesn't in the words of the Rock, it doesn't matter how I'm doing, Patrick, because this is about you, baby. You know, UMass wins a national championship in emphatic fashion. I know we talked about it yesterday, so I'm um, I'm actually all kayfabe and bullshit aside. Very happy for you, sir. Congrats to your employer. Thank you. And, uh, right. yeah, I mean, five, nothing. That's uh that's what we call leaving. No doubt. I know I scared you when it was three, nothing. And I said, it's the worst lead in hockey. And Patrick's like, I thought it was two, nothing. I was like, well, the announcers on NHL 21 always tell me three, nothing is the worst lead in hockey. So, uh, I'm going to take their word right. for it. And, and I, I guess there is some, <laughs> some data to support that. But other than that, man, yeah. Doing, doing really well. First night of WrestleMania. Uh, that was a hell of a first night. I mean, great show. I you know whether that weather delay really it's almost like God was like saying you know I'm going to make this a little bit more memorable for you folks and we're going to stretch this out just a little Jeez. bit a few little surprises here and there not trying to get religious but just saying if there is such a thing yeah
3: you know, yeah. Why, why, why are you bringing God into the equation <laughs> it's like everybody making those jokes about God finally getting his pin back on on Vince or something some weird business like that I just whatever Tony, how you doing, man? Welcome
1: back. Welcome back to the bandwagon. Yeah, it was a fun day yesterday. Um, enjoyed the shows and everything else. Congratulations to UMass. Welcome to the welcome to the hockey, hockey uh, college hockey championship club for 2021. Uh, the the Thank Badgers you. Thank grabbed that title this year. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the Masters is on right now while we're recording. We got a bunch of great stuff to talk about. We got more Mania stuff tonight, so glad everybody's enjoying it.
3: Right. Well, and I would be remiss. I actually am going to shake up the uh, the rundown on you guys a little bit because I just don't feel like we could record a show on a Sunday and not talk a little bit about what we saw on Saturday in terms of WrestleMania. We, we are part of the Chairshot Radio Network, and we are oftentimes primarily a wrestling website. So thoughts on the show? Like what really stood out to you? What what was great? I thought it was a great first night. I thought the main event was fantastic. Uh, you know, despite Demarco giving me a little bit of hard times on my uh, on my "it's fine" gimmick, uh, I I can't I can't say that it was a, a bad show by any stretch of the imagination. And it was better than fine. It was quite quite good. In fact, well done WWE. Even with the weather delays, just pretty you know wall to wall pretty darn good experience
1: it was it was very interesting when vince and all the talent came out on the ramp there it it felt more like a production more like a play more like backstage on broadway like hey we're sorry for the delay but look we're all here and now we're going to get the show going for you. Um, this is us, and then we're going to go backstage and get into those characters that you like to watch. So I, I, I really like that. I know the fact that got brought up that these guys had some great shoot promos while they're trying to buy some time, right? Maybe we can get away from all the scripted bullshit, you know? Let's see who sinks and who swims, and maybe we'll actually have another super superstar. Um, but I thought everything they did wrestling-wise and story-wise uh, was. It was very very good it was a very good night of wrestling for WWE
4: yeah absolutely I thought like you're saying when Vince came out on stage and it's and it's one of the rare times that Vince has even actually acknowledged the pandemic existed but for him to actually come out and acknowledge the everything that had gone on for the last year kind of brought things full circle I thought I know on the on this live stream that we did on uh, that Ray had hosted that we about five or six of us were talking about, what are you looking forward to? I talked about the two bookend matches, you know, the Lashley McIntyre outcome just kind of torn on that one, man. Cause I really, I understand Bobby winning and why he won. And then there's a big part Bob. of me who thought, yeah, Bob, then there's a big part of me who thought drew deserved after the year he had that he deserved that moment. So I was conflicted about that one, but it was a really good match. And then, yeah, Bianca Belair, Wow. What a performance. And that, that hair whip that she laid in on Sasha at the end there. Holy shit. And I I know she's, when she did that roll through move and carried her up the stairs, I was like, well, she's John Cena now. That's awesome. With much more talent.
3: Stop it. Stop it. just get the fuck out of here with that John Cena, no talent shit. Like, no, just get out of here. We're going to have to talk about that on an episode of Chairshot Radio because John Cena does not get the credit he deserves.
4: He's a great you probably
3: performer. Think he have he's a very talented worker, too. Like He's, he's a great performer. He's worked, he has worked as well as anybody with anybody in the company for the tenure that he's been there. I disagree wholeheartedly with limiting him to calling him a great performer. But enough about our John Cena disagreements.
4: Where's, where's that Kermit K gif that you like to use
3: you know what if you want if you want to have that argument then you can't say like his match with umaga his work with edge everything he's ever done with the big show he works as well as anyone with randy orton with seth rollins you name it he's done it he's good at it stop it anyway for me you talked about bob lashley winning the the title and kind of being a surprise i was surprised by that too but somebody posted a, a pretty good um tweet about what I think was the intentionality of how that show was bookended with the opening match, the The opening image at the end of that first match is Bobby Lashley standing tall. And the final image of WrestleMania is Bianca Belair standing tall. Like that's a statement on the part of the WWE, I think. And I, you know, I think that it was fascinating to, to kind of see that play out and what w, what I think the WWE was trying to do in terms of talking about how they're moving forward and that this night was a big deal for a lot of people who don't look like me. And I think that's, you know, Greg often says a lot of times certain parts of a, of a wrestling show aren't for me uh, or aren't for us. And he's usually talking about like sort of the work rate people. Like I made a joke about Shane McMahon and he he got overly defensive because <laughs> I just don't need to see Shane McMahon take big bumps. But the opening and closing of that show, I really felt like, you know, those weren't moments really for it's like when Kofi Kingston won his title. Like that moment wasn't for me as a fan, that, like the Pat Quinn white guy fan. That, that's not who that's for. And I can appreciate those moments and I can appreciate those matches for what they were, but particularly that main event had such a deep meaning for so many people and the response that it got. And you can see that Sasha and Bianca knew what it meant to be off from the beginning, you know, Bianca Belair trying to hold back tears. There's a really um, nice video floating around now uh, of Sasha after the match is over Who's supposed to be selling that she's, you know, beaten and hurt, but she can't, she can't keep herself from smiling and appreciating, you know, Bianca's moment. So it's just a terrific, terrific moment for the company, for those performers, those athletes, and and for a subsection of fans that, that oftentimes isn't represented and is marginalized uh, by the WWE because of its history. And so terrific, terrific show. Uh I also want to give a shout out to the Miz because Bad Bunny got a lot of love yesterday. The Miz helped ba- Bad Bunny look like a million bucks. You don't you don't pull off a Canadian destroyer for the for example without the help of the other guy taking the move. Like you just don't. And there were a lot of play they set up Bad Bunny for success
4: and a lot of that has to do with the Miz. John Morrison a little bit too, but really the Miz. He did and, and I agree with you, you can't take anything away from the Miz. You gotta give Bad Bunny some credit. He put in the work oh, to get ready. I'm not, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve
3: credit. I'm just saying that there's a big piece of that that it's it's a two to tango sort of thing and some of the things that he accomplished he he doesn't do with, with a different performer.
4: No, it, you know what I mean? People are going to say, and I would be one of them to say, that's probably the most impressive celebrity performance in WrestleMania history. And you're right. You got to give a lot of credit to The Miz because he made him look fantastic. He, re- he really did. And, and you know, and Bunny did it really. I mean, I was going to tweet, you know, if this uh, music career doesn't work out for him, he might have a future in wrestling a little bit. But he um, he was really I mean, he's he sold really well. He didn't take a ton of punishment, but when he did, he sold it. He sold the hot tag. He did the little things that you don't expect a celebrity to do. So that was um that was a imp- very impressive performance. But you're absolutely right. It takes talent on the other side to make, you know, you can't do it all on your own.
3: Sorry, I, I had... Full disclosure, I just ate lunch like five minutes before this thing, and so I'm sort of processing my lunch a little bit here. and that was that was what that silence was all about. So you know, shame on me. Yeah, I know. I my fault. My fault, studio audience. Yeah, I'm a poor podcaster. I'm terrible. Awesome. So, what are you looking forward to tonight? Slash What will people be talking about when this podcast airs tomorrow? Tony, what do you think people are going to be talking
1: about tomorrow? Well, I, it's hard to say. I mean, probably how the whole weekend was really good. I mean, this evening we're expecting Roman to hold on to that title. I would imagine most people you're think that way. You're expecting. I'm just brainwashing people. So, and Your I Honor, Roman Reigns, will be your your, your your Honor, we all expect Roman Reigns to hold on to this title tonight. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I guess that's the big talk. Is that's going to be the conversation tomorrow, uh, leading into SmackDown on Friday? Uh, you got a lot, a bunch of good matches again tonight, and you got uh, you got the Sami Zayn with uh, Logan Paul tonight. That's your that's your other celebrity going on. So I, I just like the setup and how everything looked. Having the fans back was great. I don't know, Dave. What are you looking forward to tonight?
4: Yeah, the main event for sure. They because there's a very good chance you guys are right and Roman retains, but I think all of us would admit that none of us are exactly sure how that's going to go down. And and you can make compelling arguments for all three of the guys involved. So I want to see how it goes down. That's the one I'm most curious in. I'm really curious to see what happens with Bailey and just how, whether Becky's trolling all of us with all this stuff and she trolled night one, she doesn't show up now. It seems like, Oh, she's trolling night two. She's not going to show up and then, that's usually when WWE swerves you and says, "Oh, here she is actually." Uh Bailey is a little bit too involved yesterday for to just not have anything pay off today it would seem, but I think um I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the uh the title the three Wait, title matches.
1: Before you get before you get away from it, what about Charlotte?
4: Yeah, I sh- I mean it just seems odd, a WrestleMania with no Charlotte, no Bailey. That it just seems like they've got Something's got to be going on with that, and I mean, even if they get—I don't know—we'll see. I mean, you got to figure mania's all about the big moments, and and I'm not taking anything away from Lashley retaining, Bianca winning; those are big moments in and of themselves. But they usually have some sort of set piece, you use soccer parlance, right, where they've got something that they're going to put out there, and it's all set up, and it's more character-driven, and it's not so much in-ring stuff. It feels like they're going to do something like that tonight. Um and I'm I, I think it might revolve around Bailey. But the main events where it's at, that's that's gotta be the big match. I'm curious about Asuka and Rhea Ripley, how they're gonna do that one. Um all three title matches. Like I said, those are the ones I'm really looking forward to to see what are they gonna do with these. And yeah, KO and Sammy, they don't put on bad matches.
3: True. And by the time this podcast airs, we'll know all of the results of that. And hopefully we'll pretty high bar set what's that?
1: We'll know exactly how dumber or 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 smart we are.
3: (laughs) That's true. Well, that's kind of. I mean, we do this all the time at at our podcast because we always try to predict what happens next on the shows we watch. And without further ado, I think we should segue into some nerd stuff. Keep going on talking on the next episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Okay. So I sent a DM to Ray Cash after I had watched the episode because I wasn't sure if Dave had watched it yet and I wasn't sure if if Tony had watched it yet. I was pretty sure Tony probably did cuz he's usually one of the earlier ones to to catch the show. But I sent I sent Ray uh, a DM that basically said John Walker needs himself a little bit of Johnny Walker and calm himself the fuck down that guy needs a hug and we saw john walker break in a, in a big big way today uh in this week's episode of the falcon and the winter soldier so to give a quick recap to to those who aren't spoiler f- or haven't watched the episode or you know sorry spoiler alert we refocus ourselves on trying to track down the flag smashers Sam and Bucky have a lead on this uh, woman who is important to Carly, the leader of the Flag Smashers. I can't remember her name off the top of her head that she had uh, passed away in the previous episode. They catch wind of where her location might be. They learn through some clever trickery by Baron Zemo in bribing some children with candy. Turkish delight, to be exact. That this woman has died. The funeral is that day. And that there's an opportunity. And Sam and Bucky and Zemo. Are on their way to try and talk to Carly. When John Walker shows up. With his sidekick. Already keyed up. Ready to just bust down the door. And bring this bring Carly to justice. Because she blew up a building. And there were people inside. who Who died. And throughout the whole episode john walker's really trying to push this i'm in charge i'm captain america thing while also struggling to reconcile uh, still with that theme of he's not captain america he's just not good enough he's not strong enough and the super soldier serum really comes into play here eventually leading to him coming into one vial that it is pretty clear by the end he takes Carly kills in a, in a battle that ensues, Carly kills Walker's partner, which pushes him completely over the edge. He chases down the last of the, the flag smashers in a public spare, public square beats the crap out of him, kills him with the shield while hundreds of people are watching and filming him with their phones. The name of the episode is something like the world is watching. And it takes on a double meaning, because at the very beginning, it's all about the world seeing what the Flag Smashers have done and Carly's actions with blowing up the building and ends with Captain America himself, John Walker, bloody shield in hand, being filmed by all these people after he has completely lost his mind. Dave, I'll start with you. Reactions to this week's episode?
4: Well, I let's see. <laughs> This is really kind of following along the lines of the of the comics more and more, I think. And and this is where and just in time, look at that. Mr. Cash joining in right to get on the conversation about the Reverend, the Reverend here. I, I think it's it's really following the storyline pretty closely at this point with a few minor tweaks here and there. This is where John Walker becomes unhinged. And this is where the whole world realizes. Not only is he not Captain America, but he's a major threat to everybody and everything. And like you said, he, he wrestles with the idea of what, when he gets the vial and you know he has that super serum and he is in such conflict with himself because of many of the things you said, uh, but it's, it's more his ego that I think finally drives him to the breaking point because when he gets beaten, By the Wakandans and he says They weren't even super soldiers it's like No they're Wakandans they're more badass Than super soldiers he doesn't understand that Or realize that and then That is what convinces him in that Conversation with um I forget Lamar it was that his uh, partner who Ends up dying Mm -hmm. in this episode yeah You know the conversation Yeah Battlestar the conversation with him Talking about The pros and cons of taking the super soldier Serum And you can tell very quickly that when he says man imagine all the people we could have saved in afghanistan if we had that is what motivates john to take the serum so he can so in his mind he can be captain america he can be what steve rogers was never realizing for one second that he doesn't have any of the qualities that steve did um it's it's a very powerful episode to be sure there that image at the end with that bloody shield and john walker killing one of the flag smashers and the whole world filming it is extraordinarily powerful and now you've got the moment where bucky and sam know exactly what they're dealing with and sam probably is going to be even more guilt riddled for giving up that shield knowing that he's been responsible for creating a monster so that those are my thoughts about this episode great welcome to the show
5: thank you thank you sorry had to do some real-life work stuff, but I'm back in my my most important job being with you guys.
3: Oh, look at you. Why don't you give us your thoughts on this week's episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier?
5: I mean, I, I, I love those episodes that aren't super, um, that don't have a ton of or super riddled with action, but have just enough but they further the story so far. Now, people like us four, um, and I, I know definitely to a smaller extent, but I know definitely me and Dave and Patrick to a deeper extent. I'm not sure if you know the story of John Walker, Tony. Know who he is. John Walker is essentially a less popular but more patriotic Punisher. And only difference is we see John Walker devolve into who he becomes, whereas when we see Punisher in any iteration He's already that man. And then you have flashbacks. So you get a good chance to see. And me and Patrick had a good conversation about this personally over the past weekend of this earlier this weekend about seeing how he devolved, not just from the beginning of the show, but simply in this episode. You got to understand, man, if if he wasn't so douchey, you'd almost feel sorry for him. Because he was thrust in a position that was just unwinnable, first and foremost. The first time you see him, he's riddled with uh, confusion, um, imposter syndrome, I think we said in earlier shows, of can he fill this role? Um, And then you see him have the false bravado, and in his first fight, they get the ass kicked. And then you see, okay, well, you know what? No problem, because I got my boy, and I got the Avengers with me. I got Captain America's two best friends. And they're like, nah, bro, we don't fuck with you. And then he's like, all right, I'll give you one more chance. I understand. It's a little rough right now. Then you see, they're like, nah, we'll give you some information, but we really don't mess with you. And we're going to do this on our own because we can do it better than you can. And then you see him start to get upset. And then you see him get spit in the face by uh, uh, just a civilian because they're like, we don't trust you. We don't like you. We don't rock with you. I don't care who you are. And you just see him further and further and further fail. And all of the things that made Steve Steve are the things that don't make John, John, if you will. So when you see this episode and he finally gets cricket and handles business, and from the moment you see him, business picks up, to borrow a wrestling euphemism, because the moment he, he's you see him on screen from the first time, he's hype, he's pissed, he's mad. He already mad at Sam and Bucky just off GP, but now he's mad because they 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 know what's going on more than he do than than he does, and they broke out Zemo, and then they know everything that's happening. Then they know where Carly is, but Sam wants to do it the Captain America way. It's it's I think it's a beautiful storytelling in just this episode of who John Walker and U.S. agent is as a character, um, and the dis- disagreement me and Patrick had was that he thought it was just a little too rushed. And I agree, it'd have been nice to be a little more fleshed out. But you see it very clearly at every point where this dude goes from happy-to-be-here guy to my best friend just got killed, the one moral compass I had. And now i got to go and handle business and be who I know I need to be. On top of the fact that you guys spoke about it, Dave, uh, when when I got on the call, Dave was talking about it in depth. Now I can be the real cap because I got the super soldier serum. The problem is his personality has gotten in the way of his ability
1: to become as good as he can. And that's why he's the heel. And that's why none of his qualities are necessarily redeeming. Because he had the the necessary tools available to him to come into this and and handle business the right way and be humble about it, not overly confident, right? I think, you know, I said it on, I think after we reviewed the first one, you don't know what you don't know. And Falcon and the Winter Soldier, they already know. And they were there and available. So him not taking advantage of that, letting his own personality get in the way,
5: to me has been the biggest downfall and why he's the bad guy. And we've spoken ad nauseum. About the fact that just what made Steve Steve was Captain America before he ever got the serum. Steve was Captain right. America because of who he was as a person, which is why he gave the mantle to Sam, because Sam was Captain America before he ever put the wings on, of because of who he was as a person. And John and that's, and that's was just never that Sam guy.
3: Not seeing it right, like that's Sam not seeing it himself. That mm-hmm. Sam not believing in himself. That goes back to that whole imposter syndrome conversation that we've been having throughout and and kind of seeing the the ramifications here there was a lot of other stuff that happened on this episode though that I just I want to make sure that we hit on and give some credit to Baron Zemo as a character give us all the Zemo Uh, so thrilled to see him escape I'm not going to lie I knew he wasn't going to do it because of who the character was but when he has the vial of the super soldier serum I'd be lying if I didn't say do it do it do it all all ben stiller style do it do it because i wanted him to be like super zemo and then to see him smash it and stick to his convictions that no super soldiers are are not good for this world was outstanding was great and then to manage to escape not once but twice from just various forms of getting like he escapes from he escapes from walker he escapes from the wakandans he slips away he's the one who turns the tide and helps him figure out where the funeral is uh through carly and then knows enough to use the information to leverage his position and i'll give a nod to tunny i think it was you tunny uh maybe it was ray i can't remember who talked about his kid uh and he talked about his son and that family that was a big part of his character in Civil War when we first met him. That was was that Ray? That was Ray. So I guess I'll give Ray credit instead of Tunny. Uh, stop it! I gave you credit like two weeks ago too. You guys act like <laughs> on this video, like everybody seems to think. once every that two I'm weeks, like guys? This like hate-filled, like Debbie Downer rain cloud on all your parades, except for Tunny. tony has got the obvious innocent hands. That's that's just because he's a Brewers fan and doesn't understand. Anyway.
1: Oh, oh, they're up four nothing after the first. Yeah,
3: there you go. Oh, yeah. good job, Cardinals. <laughs> That's I wasn't going to bring it, it up, but
1: you had to it do just the means guys. there's eight innings him to
3: blow it. Anyway, uh, so Z-
4: you're talking character. about Zemo. He's probably the most multi-layered character on the show right now, and and, wow. and the most interesting by far. And you know, it's I mean, he's he's and I and you don't really get a good feel for okay, what is his exact end game? What is he doing? Because like you're saying, Pat, there's a moment where he's got that serum and you're like, is he actually going to go down there? No, 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 he's not. He's sticking to his convictions because all super soldiers are evil. But at the same time, you know, he's not, he's he's not doing anything for the betterment of mankind. There is a personal agenda that he is trying to accomplish. We just haven't seen it all unfold Just waiting it out. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the thing is about John Walker, getting back to what Ray says, I mean, Sam and, and Bucky, I, I don't know how you guys feel, but they are as much responsible for what happened in that town square as John yep. Walker is, because if they backed him and say, you didn't want you didn't want this mantle. I took it. And instead of being, you know, acting like petulant, jealous children, they could have just backed him and he would probably not be in this situation. Of course, that's not good storytelling. We have to have conflict. But I thought you see it in their face when they arrive in that town square and see what has happened and it is written all over their face like, oh my God, what have we done? And that's where we're going. And and to a certain extent, maybe it's been rushed a little bit, but you gotta think there's only two episodes left. You've yeah. got to have the big conflict and then the resolution. That was
3: where that was where my conversation with Ray kicked off. Is that that de evolution of John Walker to me, felt a little, and I don't want this to get blown out of proportion, like I don't think it's been terrible, but it felt a little unearned, because you have six episodes, right? And so we we really don't get any sense of who John Walker is as a character until episode two. So we're really looking at about three episodes where we go from John Walker taking this mantle to being kind of batshit crazy, and, and yeah, the signs are there. Like It's not like they didn't foreshadow it, to me it just it felt like of all the times where i'm like man i wish they would have had a seventh or eighth episode he, he just for the sake of allowing that burn to be a little bit slower so that maybe you do yes that's you know the same thing uh, so that maybe you do empathize a little bit more with john walker as a character i thought there was value there I, I still, you understand where it's going and where it has to go, because again, if you're familiar with the story, you know what's going to happen to John, a- and that that breakdown is there,
5: right? And um, maybe they don't want you to like John. I feel like a, I don't. Think, a big... I don't think you. I, I compare it to Negan. Yes. In
3: in, in um Walking Walking Dead.
5: Dead. Yeah.
3: Negan's despicable when you see him, but you you start to learn about who he is over time Mm -hmm. to where there's a level of, I still think you're despicable. What you did is horrible, but I kind of understand how it got there. Mm -hmm. And they had, I I just felt like they kind of hurried this with, with John Walker because they have to, because like you said, it's six episodes, you know, we got two episodes to go.
5: And two quick things real quick. Um, Touching on Zemo real fast. I think the reason why Zemo is probably the most, when I say this word, I don't mean literal, but the most powerful character on the show right now is because he has the one thing nobody else involved has had, and that is calm and patience. Everybody else has lost their mind at a certain part, portion of the show, Dora Melaje included. In every moment, he's always been calm and collected, which allows him to be ahead of the game. To your point, he slipped out of multiple situations. How the doors lose him? Because they were fighting. Because they were so angry, they were blinded and fighting. And my second point is this episode, I think more than any episode of the series showed why Sam Wilson is Captain America, because that moment with him and Carly was one of the most powerful conversations you'll hear outside of, you know, uh, f- philosophic vision. Cause he's like the most philosophic person in the MCU, but because he literally had her, he had her on the verge of stopping. And then John Walker lost his shit. And that is Steve Rogers had a, a bunch of those moments where you were like, yeah, he's the guy and that was sam's first moment i think you saw post blip where you were like you know what i get it that man should be captain america
4: well steve saw something in him that's why he gave him the shield the the big question to me is at the end of all this is it a foregone conclusion that sam ends up the new captain america because in the comics it doesn't always work out so clean cut they're both captain america at some point in time. So you figured that's where we end up at episode eight. And, and I don't, it seems like Sam should be the man, but Sam's going to be no matter. Like you said, Ray, he does a captain America worthy speech to Carly, but you still think I'm still like in his head. He still doesn't think he's worthy to hold that shield. And now you look at what that shield has done and you got to figure he may be very reluctant to take that up. Whereas Bucky who has that horrible history Uh, maybe, maybe he's not so squeamish about
5: it. I don't think, I don't think Bucky ever gets the shield. That just doesn't seem like Bucky's path in the MCU. I know it's different in the comics. I think Sam doesn't get the shield until the the next Avengers when he realizes somebody got to lead us and I know what I've been through. I know what's happened. I have to do this now.
3: Tony, what about you? Jump in there. What do you think?
5: I mean, you guys are pretty
1: much laying it all out there at what we can expect to go down these last two episodes. I mean, I'm just I'm just here for the ride more so than you guys. Like Ray said, you guys are really know the the depth of of all of this. I mean, I'm just kind of accruing it all as we go. But I, it's hard to think they can't finish this without Sam getting the shield. So that that's where okay. I would be. That's that's where I would put my faith in going forward. I'm not going to be disappointed if that doesn't happen. Because I don't really know where they're going to go from from here after this is done with this story.
3: Yeah, I agree. I I think it does end with with Sam getting the shield, and we start to get that you know sort of Captain America Falcon look that we that we get in the comics. A couple of other little points that I want to hit on, Dave. I when you said you know you thought that Zemo and you know Daniel Rule's work was kind of the the greatest depth. I think it's a 1a and a 1a between him and Sebastian Stan and his work as uh, as Bucky because we haven't even talked about the opening of this episode. The first five minutes of that episode, which is him in Wakanda scared like scared out of his mind that when he gets challenged by iO with the words, that, that turn him into the automaton that he's going to break and transform. And the emotion that he goes through and that he shows and that he has shown throughout this whole show from the episodes with the therapist to that big moment he has with Sam, where he tells him that, you know, if, if you, if you failed, then I fail. Or, or if he was, or sorry, if Cap was wrong about you, then he was wrong about me to that moment where he he's breaking down because he's scared to death and then those tears change to tears of relief yep. and it creates a bond for him with IO to where she gives him time she gives him eight hours to to try and use Zemo when that's not something that is is in the mo at all uh, of 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 the wakandans and so, and she's disappointed in him. And in that battle, it's crazy. Like, you could see she didn't want to kick his ass. So she just took away the one thing he had that that would really, like, and it, we didn't even talk about this, but it, it reminded me of Kill Bill Volume 2 with the the five, like, bullet points that automatically kill you. She's just like, dunk, dunk, and the arm is gone. And, and Sam's like, did you know they could do that? And he's like, no. <laughs> But it was amazing, right? Like, but it was this great moment, and Sebastian Stan, I think, deserves a lot of like all of these big four, like because Anthony Mackie's been terrific as well. It's just there's such an elevation from Brule and from Stan that it's kind of hard to match. It's it's been great, and I actually think that this has been a real great Bucky story more than a Falcon story, even though the. name is
5: first. Yeah. So far, you're absolutely right. I'm so glad you touched on that, that scene, which again, powerful, and I appreciate that they, it gives you depth into the relationship between Io and Bucky, because you know, what, what I feel like with these TV shows, these Marvel well, I'm sorry, miniseries are doing is bridging the gap we've missed from the blip and now post-blip because we had to rush there from uh, Endgame to Captain Marvel to see who Captain Marvel was. From I'm sorry, Infinity War to Captain Marvel to event to Infinity War to Far From Home. We didn't get a chance to see well what happened. And so I'm sure a lot of people wondered, well, what happened when Bucky was in Wakanda? And you get a chance to see that, and man, that 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 cry of relief. All of us, maybe not through tears, but all of us have had that release moment of relief where you're like, something is really, really burdening you and you feel like it's gone. And all you can do is however you let it out. Um, Yeah, great point on that. And yes, Sebastian Stan is killing this right now.
4: There's like a sub story that I wanted to throw out to you guys. I mean, I I know Thanos isn't coming back or anything like that, but... They talk about it in this thing where how the world was during the blip where so many people were missing so many communities and so many like world uh, leaders and just countries. Everybody had to pull together to to make up for the fact that half of the half of humanity was gone. And that's what the Flag Smashers are all about. The one world, you know, one world, that sort of thing. And then when they all came back, it created all these issues. That's why Carly's doing what she's doing. Do you think that there's any chance that there's like, as these series, mini series, and and we go along in in phase four, that you start getting some undercurrent or a sentiment along the lines of Thanos was right at any point as this is going along?
3: Well, I think that there's an argument for that. I I think that one of the reasons that Sam connects so well with Carly in that conversation is because part of what he says is, I agree with you i i recognize and as somebody who came back right both of them like him and bucky wor- world, right the world thick but sam's the one who's talking to carly this is the the sam and carly conversation where he's like you're i agree with you what you're, what's happening is your message is being corrupted by your actions and he 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 talks about, it. he's like, you know, Bruce Banner snaps his fingers and everything that had been kind of recovering is thrown back into chaos. And so it's it's a really interesting thought process when you kind of look at it, because how does that paint the Avengers who undo everything? It doesn't exactly paint them as the good guys necessarily anymore from a certain point of view.
5: And speaking of Avengers, to your point about what well, people think that was right. In Endgame, at the beginning, after they killed Thanos, Steve says, when he's talking to Nat, well, you know, life is thriving right now. I haven't seen the harbor so clear. I haven't seen fish in the harbor since I was a kid. Mind you, that was in the 30s for that dude. So, like, there already is an undercurrent and a, a, a history of, of a verbal undercurrent that Thanos was right. And I think that was the beauty of the Thanos character and that much like Carly, even going to really matter, much like Zemo, what they thought and what they believe in is correct. It's how they're going about it. And that's a lot of the villains in most more recent times. Sympathetic, Killmonger, Vulture. They may be going about things the, the wrong way, but they're undercurrent in their belief. It's pretty it's pretty understandable.
3: Agreed. 100 percent. This is a really dense episode. I like that you brought up the good point, Ray. That there wasn't a lot of action here. I think they're saving that for episode five and six, and uh, you know, and I look forward to this group talking through episode five next week when we get there because we're, we're going to be coming to a head, and it's going to be a huge, huge thing. But we got to move on. Uh, sorry, we got to move on. Uh, and I figured it was an interesting week of news. We're gonna go back to the trailer park, and as I look at this i need to find a good uh good trailer park soundbite introduction thing i'm thinking something very deliverance very banjo-y um to kind of bring us into the park. foggy mountain mountain breakdown baby foggy mountain breakdown that might that might be doable but there were four there were actually four trailers that one's not a trailer one was just a brief clip but four trailers that of, of things that came out that i wanted to get your guys's thoughts on i sent it to you in the rundown that i'm sure nobody had time to read because of wrestlemania but um Hi, i have we um, both read it right ray
5: yeah this morning exactly this morning
3: <laughs> and you both and neither of you watched the the videos did you we watched them all man did you i've,
5: you. I've only seen loki to be honest with you i have had it on my agenda to watch the other three but I just haven't had the time, man, and I'm sorry for That's that.
3: That's all right. That's all right. We're we're gonna do a little describing for you anyway, so we'll we'll talk this through. But uh, I'm I shifted the order around a little bit as I was kind of looking at it. i I shifted a lot with the with the rundown this week. I was looking at the rundown and I was looking at this. I was like, I kind of want to do them in order of, I, I guess, interest might be the easiest way to describe it or at least what i would say is perceived our audience's interest but i started with the clip that wasn't a trailer and that was the 20 to 30 second clip that was dropped online of a scene from uh the releasing in 2027 film ghostbusters afterlife which was this trippy as balls little scene with Paul Rudd walking through a grocery store, hearing some noises, before looking at a bag of marshmallows that opens up and a miniature Stay puff Marshmallow Man bursts out and Paul Rudd goes to like pet it and it bites his finger. And then there's all, like, there's all these little marshmallow men running around doing bizarre things like they're like one of them's laying on a graham cracker and another one puts a uh a hershey's chocolate on top of it they use a blow porch to to turn him into s'mores then there's another one where one of them's holding a, a fork and holds, holds a couple of them over a flame and they start melting and this is more of just a if you if you watch it just kind of a reaction thing because i was like man that's trippy that's trippy as hell and Pretty darn entertaining, and I hope I hope that we get more of it. So, Tony, did you have a chance to watch the videos I asked the other two? I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to you first. What was your reaction to the Ghostbusters clip? Because that was some. Was I liked some
1: stuff. it. Yeah, I I thought it was great. It seemed like they were. It seemed like the one that was underneath the melting chocolate was happy. It felt like it was right. happy. It wanted to be a s'more. So they were also riding the Roomba around as as like soldiers at, at Paul Rudd's feet. <laughs> right. I would honestly i mean we're gonna get to we're gonna get to more conversation like this about like how you like things and 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 how they're portrayed in in media but i would love for this to be like a series of two or three different stories as a movie where you kind of follow each different portion of the ghostbusters thing so i I don't know i'm excited for it either way it looks looks great
3: Right, I can't wait for another trailer. I hope that that means that there's a trailer coming. Tony, what about or not, Tony Ungar, David, Mister Lawyer? You watched all the videos. I, uh, I'm hoping his phone, watching them right now. That's what that's what I'm going for. No,
4: no, I already watched them. I I really enjoyed the trailer. Uh, it felt very Despicable Me-ish. Where the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man are the minions. I mean that's that I, that's what it really felt like to me. But uh, in, in, a, in a, a little bit like you're saying, you know, being turned into a s'more and being roasted, fi- you know, spit fired and all that sort of thing. A uh, little bit different take on the whole thing. But yeah, as soon as the stay, little Stay puff Marshmallow Man comes out of the bag, I just smiled a little bit because that's that's going to n- nostalgia, the sweet spot of nostalgia right there for a lot of us. So. Hey
3: the The little O'Doubt was like ah, the whole time like like it was a l- bunch of little puppies running around. So, yeah, I, I think what this told me though is that, that you know we're gonna get a little bit of some some frenetic mayhem, with this and and that's kind of, that's kind of exciting to me, and, and what I hope um, gives us I, I hope that's the experience for the movie because part of the charm of the original Ghostbusters was just the mayhem of the ghosts. So, big time there, Ray. You got a big smile. You want to you want to
5: share it with the class? That trailer makes you happy, bro. Like it right? really, really makes you happy. Um, no, they're evil, <laughs> right? Yeah, but I mean, how many evil? The minions are evil. The gremlins are evil, but they still make you happy, right? Maybe that's not, the, maybe less the gremlins, but you know what I'm saying. But yes, but they're 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 more mischievous than evil in this clip. Now, when Big Boy comes around, if he does, um, that may be different. But yeah, man, that's I I'm glad you made me watch that. That is hilarious. And of course, there go there, Paul Rudd goes again being the world's greatest, most popular human, apparently.
3: I mean, he's an ageless wonder who always looks like he's surprised that he's in movies. Like, have you ever noticed that? Like, he just always looks like, how did I get here? What well, I don't belong here.
5: Can I tell you a quick Paul Red story, which I think encapsulates how Perfect of a human he is. Sure. Um, if you guys don't know, pulling the curtain back, Paul Rudd is a massive Kansas City fan of everything. He's from the Kansas City area. He's a Chiefs fan. Going to the Super Bowl, there's a uh, reporter named Charlotte R- Wilder for the what uh, Illustrated. They were on the same flight going to wherever the Super Bowl was. I don't remember. When they won, uh, not la- this year, but last year. And uh, so, you know, everybody remembers that. Really famous Paul Rudd um, hot hot one scene with Sean what's his face where he's like look at us look at us who you know who would have thought that little thing right it meme to death so she saw him and she wanted to do it to him so bad and so she happened to walk past him and she she spoke to him and she was like I wanted to do this but I didn't think it would be appropriate so I just wanted to speak and he was like I really appreciate that don't worry about it thank you for speaking to me. You're right. Right now might have been the best time, but I appreciate you being nice enough to speak to me at the arena. After the game, they see each other and Paul Rudd on cue. Look at us. Who would have thought it is the greatest little story to me that shows that he is what people say he is. It's just right on cue. And like that made her life. Five seconds of from a celebrity made her life. And I just think that's a really fun story to encapsulate who Paul Rudd is.
3: Well, It's nice that you talked about how Paul Rudd brings a smile to your face because the next trailer that I had listed is a movie called Street Gang, How We Got to Sesame Street. And it is a documentary about the creation of Sesame Street, how the show was developed, and really just kind of taking a look at how it changed children's programming and is one of the two hallmarks of children's programming from the 60s and 70s that that showed that children's programming could be educational could be more than cartoons the other being mr rogers on public television and when i watched this trailer to me it was funny i i smiled when i watched it and i'm like i'm totally gonna check this out it's definitely gonna be a rose-colored glasses look at the creation of the show jim henson you guys know for me muppets are a big part of like something I love like I am going through the Muppet show with a little O'Dowd right now and he loves it loves every episode we watched thinks the Swedish chef is genius Sesame Street for most children we grew up on that stuff like we watched it and as I was sitting there watching it I didn't find myself being like wow I want to see how this is done I found myself thinking a lot more uh, maybe getting a little nostalgic but just some of my favorite sketches from from Sesame Street and I will always forget, or I will never forget, sorry, Grover in Near and Far. Like, where Grover is demonstrating Near and Far by running way up close to the camera, yelling near, and then running as far away as he can, and yelling far, and getting so tired that he eventually falls down. There's the Echo song that he sing, that Grover sings with with uh, Madeline Kahn. Before there was Elmo, kids, it was fucking Grover, alright?
4: Elmo, trashed. Grover the boss please the don't, OG. don't mention elmo
5: anymore please go on You're age you're aging yourself by the way oh man yells that cloud
4: hey man i'm gonna yell at the same cloud with you patrick that's fine you yell away my friend i mean his puppeteer was kind of messed up that's all i'm gonna say okay
3: it's fine they moved on but no i'm just i'm just being fine i have no problems with elmo Really? I did. I, I hated Elmo's world when they, when they cut Sesame street in half and gave him his own half hour. That was a bit much that was a little too much. Elmo, even you guys can agree with that. But what did Sesame street, I'm going to assume outside of Dave, who's 9,000 years old. So he was an adult when the show debuted, That's right. but am I alone here with Sesame? Like Sesame street was special to me. So Ray, I'm going to go to you first. Do you, how, what are your thoughts on Sesame street? What are your thoughts on a documentary about the making of the show?
5: This, this is going to sound silly. Well, maybe not because we're cause of the esteem we're holding um, this show and, and this documentary in. But Big Bird was my first best friend. I'm not right. being facetious about that. My, my very first birthday party I had, and it wasn't the first year. I think it was my second year, was a Big Bird birthday party with the video of Big Bird's birthday party. And so I was invited to Big Bird's birthday party on TV. And, uh, yeah, Big Bird was my everything, man. I had the doll, um, you know, and then, and then it grew to Bert and Ernie. They were my homeboys. Then of course there was Elmo and this is the song La 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 La. Um, but yeah, Sesame Street, I, I grew up with them, man. And, you know, I've gotten a bit jaded in my older age, but seeing that documentary trailer brings back all those nostalgic memories and those feelings because like they were my friends. Like as literal as can be, they were my friends. All of them, Snuffleupagus, the Count, all of them—they were my friends. And um, I don't—I—I I don't. This is legit. This is a shoot. I don't think I appreciated how important they were to me until right here in this very moment. They were truly important to me.
4: Wow. Yeah. Nice, Dave. What about you? Like you're saying, I was an adult when this show first debuted, so I don't give a shit about no. Look, uh, I mean, Sesame Street is, it's iconic. Uh, I mean, when I, Sesame Street. Yeah, when I was, when I was a kid, I think like Sesame Street was real big and there was, uh, I think we mentioned this on another show, Pat, so you know what I'm talking about. Remember the electric company? I don't know if you remember. Yeah. That. Those Morgan were like, yeah, those were the big shows that they were showing in the schools. You know, when I was still in great elementary school and, and God, you know, you learn, I learned a ton from both of those shows. I mean basics about just stuff but but like the trailer you're talking about shows the behind the scenes and just how important it was from an integrational standpoint and what the show represented on on a a more societal scale than anything that is you know when we're kids watching this you don't you don't even think about that really. You just think it's a bunch of people living on the street and there's these crazy characters and, and, and you know, why the hell does this guy live in a trash can? That sort of thing. But <laughs> it's, it's a, it's, it's one of those phenomenal, iconic, tremendous shows like Sesame street, electric company, Muppet show, all of them that kind of were, you know, uh, uh, the, what is it? That Croft happy hour. I don't know what the hell it was. I don't remember what it was, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Sid and Marty or something like that. I forget. Anyway, but uh, it was. um, Sesame Street's an awesome show. And I I think high time, way overdue for a behind-the-scenes look at just what went into making that show as iconic and special as it was. I mean, for somebody like Ray to sit here and say, I don't mean it, somebody like you, Ray. Just for Ray to come out here and say that those characters were his true best friends. At a time when you know as a young very young guy, he probably needed that, and so to have that connection to a show is is really cool and and very rare so
1: i i am very interested in it definitely you talk about you know education and and integrating education into children's television and making that paramount, and then also just talk about inclusion and and integration on a on a global. Landscape of of between race and 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 religion and things of that nature and just kind of coexisting. I'm a big fan of it. I mean, I watched it when I was a kid. Shoot, I still use their sound. Some of their sound. I have one right now. I could play for you if I wanted to. I I have I have their sound bites on my for my shows. So yeah, it's just a it's in a it's a piece of American culture and history that is very true to like us going. All right, we have this beautiful thing called the television. Children are watching it. Let's put it to good use. Right. And then the things they did along
5: the way were just were just excellent. So I'm I'm here for it. I can't wait to watch it. I often think of something that I think in my mind I call the time capsule effect. What I mean is, can you if you were to tell the story of the world in a very abbreviated time, what would be if you if it was important enough to tell it in that story, then it is it is of extreme importance. There's a ton of things that don't matter ultimately if you're telling the story of the world. You cannot tell the story of this earth without Sesame Street. And that is a crazy statement to say, but it truly is because Sesame Street created an entire genre. Like now you see all these children's shows that started with Sesame Street. Now you see all these shows. I mean, I'm talking even shitty ones. Blue's Clues, Bear in the Big Blue House, Yo Gabba Gabba. So many of these shows all come from Sesame
4: Street, SpongeBob. Yeah,
5: absolutely. SpongeBob's so, influence. Yeah, so, no, God.
1: No anyway. one, no one mentioned Cookie Monster. So shout out to the Cookie Monster, my favorite. Cookie.
3: Yeah, okay. okay. oh, yeah. yeah, Ernie, okay.
1: baby. So,
3: hey Bert. Before I walk away from this, uh, Ray, you mentioned your love of Big Bird uh, as a kid. There is another documentary out there that I think if you loved Big Bird, that you should check out called "I Am Big Bird." It's about the puppeteer uh carol spinney who portrayed big bird literally up until the day he died um came out a couple years ago i'm not sure which streaming service it's on if it's on one anymore i think it was on amazon it's called i am big bird it was really really good
1: there's another one too it's frank frankenhooker 3 big bird's betrayal <laughs> anyway
5: as
3: tawny kills the moment no uh,
5: it's it's on Tubi, peacock voodoo and amazon prime for free
3: right um and that show and that show didn't just cover things like uh you know we talked about multiculturalism you know it covered some heavy things for kids too like death it covered um homelessness poverty divorce all that kind of stuff between like i said between that and between that and mr Rogers on pbs uh they they treated children in a way that was both respectful and at their level and so Definitely think that's going to be a documentary to, to check out. Shifting gears in an entirely different direction. The next trailer that I had on there uh, dropped this week was for Jupiter's Legacy. It's a show coming up on Netflix in May, I do believe, May or June. Uh, I can't remember where I saw the, the drop date. And looking at this, it when I watched this trailer, it struck me as a cross between like the Umbrella Academy meets invincible with like less violence. Cause like, it doesn't seem like the dad's bad. At least we don't know. But, um, Josh Dumail, or I can't ever pronounce his name play plays the lead in this, but it's, it's this story of a, of a group of superheroes that have been around for about 90 years or so. One of which, uh, or a couple of which have started a family and are trying to prepare the next generation of what's to come. Now this is based on a, a comic by Mark Millar, who is a big name in the comic book industry. So if you don't know who Mark Millar is, just take a look, Daredevil, anyone uh, amongst other things. But it was intriguing to me because it's it's another and I don't know if we're tired of these sort of superhero angst based shows. But this looks like another one that's taking uh, a a different look at the superhero genre, looks at the concept of family, looks at the concept of mortality with the superhero and legacy. They talk, I mean, the name of the title is Jupiter's Legacy. And so there's a lot of this concept of what are we leaving behind and what are we building towards the future? And for me, it was just, it was really, really intriguing. I'm not familiar with the comic at all, but thought that the trailer Looked like it might be worth a look. Uh, I think, Dave, it's your turn to go first. Everybody else has gotten to kind of take first crack. So thoughts on Jupiter's legacy?
4: Yeah, I think the comparison with Umbrella Academy meets Invincible with maybe a little bit of a sprinkling of the boys thrown in there uh, here and there. But that's kind of early to tell. It, It looks interesting. I think this is an Image Comics. Is that Mark Millar? Was he writing for Image when this one came out, I, I, don't Maybe.
3: Know. I honest to God, I don't even know. I knew nothing about this comic. I don't remember, I
4: but it, it sure looks, it, it looks really good. I mean, there's, there's, I, I like the, the stuff that the one, what was the one character was talking about? You know, you try to do the right thing. Somebody dies. You try to do the wrong right thing. Somebody dies. And, and, and that's, that's a quandary in, in a lot of superheroes that they all share. That's that thing. You know, you're, you're trying to be by a superhero trying to prevent death and destruction and no matter what you do, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Ray's nodding his head like it is an image. Comic. Image. Okay. Yes. So if image did it, chances are very strong that it's a good comic series. If dare I say great comic series. And if they've adapted that for Netflix, I mean, honestly, Pat, when I was watching the trailer, I was like, shit, here's something else I got to watch. That's what I thought, you know? I <laughs> bet. And, and I, because I still it looks, I'm just sharing. No, the Cause it, that's no, that's great. And it, and it looks, I mean, that's, for something to i to see it and look at it and just at first blush say yeah I got to watch that uh, that that's all you really need to know about it. it it looks very interesting a little hard to get grasp exactly what's going on I, I think the invincible uh comparison is very apt but yeah we haven't seen anything to suggest that the dad has gone rogue and turned omnimanish on us but certainly right. things haven't worked out the way he intended and the byproduct are the I don't know if they're his kids. Or adopted kids like Umbrella Academy, like you said, but they're kind of second guessing their father's agenda and hit the message he's sending. How to me, going? it's
1: just a it's just a, a signal that it's become a staple. If you have a streaming service or or some kind of uh, medium for people to enjoy entertainment, it's a staple that you need to have some kind of comic superhero series because Netflix seems to be almost last to to the party with some original thing here because. You mentioned all the other ones, and Dave, you said now oh, it's something else I gotta watch. I don't know; it's so bad that it's something else I gotta watch, but it's just in the same genre of what I've been watching now for like, you know, it, 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 this is now the fourth or fifth iteration of almost the same type of story. I understand it's probably going to be excellent. Likely, I'm going to watch it, but just to speak a little bit of overload on on said theme and
5: genre at the time for me. So. I I think the one positive it has is that because it's on Netflix, it's bingeable. And so many of the shows we've been talking about recently are once a week. Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision was, Invincible is, The Boys was. So, you know, that's a good thing for me personally in my mind because it makes it feel different. It doesn't feel episodic. It feels like I can ingest in the story how I want. Secondly, Netflix got a ton of superhero franchises and, and programs and platforms. Um, I hope this this doesn't get too sci-fi-ish. And I don't mean that in any disrespect to sci-fi. Um, but that would make it a little different, but it will also make it feel the same. But I also, you look at all the other um, superhero franchises on Netflix, you know, you talked about the Umbrella Academy. Here's an underrated one, Raising Dion. About the little boy, they're so different. They're not just your standard superhero fare, and I hope that Juber's Juber's legacy isn't standard superhero fare. I hope that there is a genuine hook to it that pulls you in, besides the fact that hey, we have powers.
3: Yeah, I, I I'm kind of I'm kind of in the same boat. I hope that it's different enough to to be compelling. I'm like Dave. I'll probably you know clearly i'm interested in it so i'll probably give it a watch probably not one we're going to cover on the on the bandwagon but definitely one to kind of keep an eye out the last trailer that i have before we go to a commercial break is one we will definitely cover on the bandwagon as the new low-key trailer dropped the next step in the marvel television miniseries cinematic universe hodgepodge what do you want to call it I know there's a lot a lot of descriptors in there. We got a bigger window into what happened to variant Loki as we learned he will be known after the events of Endgame. So yeah, first for, right off the bat for me, Owen Wilson. Like I try not to like the guy, damn it, and then he does things that I'm like, okay, that's funny. And when they're sitting there around the coffee t- table And he's like, and Loki's like, you know, I promise, I promise not to stab you in the back. And he's like, Loki, I've been watching you literally your entire life. You've stabbed people in the back, literally two, you know, over like for many, many times, 50 times.
4: I like how he puts a definitive number on it.
3: And, and Loki's like, maybe I'll stop this time. (laughs) It's, (laughs) It's, it's funny. Uh, you know, it's clearly this trailer clearly was painted in the who like who has the upper hand over whom? Uh, we, we you know does Loki have the upper hand trying to get out of it? Does the time what were that what is it called the like variant the time
5: variance authority
3: authority yeah. yeah the TVA like who who's really in charge who knows what's up? Uh we got our first real look at variant timelines at least in in their in in this iteration and their understanding of it and we saw some things if you were really paying attention to some backgrounds there uh there's some noticeable things for example in one of the worlds that loki's walking around in there's a definitely a destroyed avengers tower in the background um so thoughts on the loki trailer back to the oh, ray's leaning in so we'll
5: go with ray I'll jump in real quick, because uh, I, I, I don't have as much as the rest of you may. Um, I'm a big Loki fan, maybe the least of the four. But that doesn't mean I hate him. Like, I'm a, I'm a nine on him, but I know everybody loves Loki. Um, the trailer was standard fare. Of course, I think what's going to sell the show is the different situations Loki's put in and the rapport between Owen Wilson and um, and Loki. Wilson. What, I need, what I need to know, Bo, is where in the T-H-E-E, fuck, has the TVA been this entire time? That's what I need to know. Like, are they Uatu? Are they fucking with the Watchers? Like, when, when when they did the time heist, did they go and talk to Bruce and Cap? Like, I need to know these things because it seems really weird for this to have been around forever and we're 24, 23, 20, well, by the time it comes out, 24 episode, uh, movies in, and all of a sudden, oh yeah, we're just gonna stop Loki. Like, I need to know more about them. So this, to me, the most interesting thing about this entire show has nothing to do with Loki.
4: Yeah, the the TVA is very interesting because at what point do they get involved? You know, hey, man, when Thanos reversed time to kill Vision, you guys didn't think that that was a time anomaly, that maybe you should have jumped in there and done something? Or were you just afraid that Thanos would obliterate you guys as well? So I, I agree with Ray. The questions are as to... When and where and what are the parameters for them to get involved in? Why Loki, other than the fact that in one timeline he's dead and now you've got variant Loki who's very much alive and and or you know maybe he's just too mischievous to be left to his own devices. But I I, I love the trailer. I thought like like Patrick, you were saying how it's the kind of that concept of who's really in charge. Half the trailer looks like the TVA is in charge. The latter half it looks like Loki's on you know. Basically, just fucking with them like he does with everybody else. So, it's going to be a, a very good show. And, and it's like, you know, like WandaVision, we know that that led into Doctor Strange too. And we figure Captain America and Winter Soldier is establishing the new Captain America and wherever that ties in. And so, you got to figure this is leading into uh what is Thor 3? Love and Thunder? Love and Rockets? Mm-hmm. What the hell is it called? I've Love heard. and Love Thunder. Thunder. Love and Thunder. So, you got to figure that's leading into that movie. So, Marvel's doing a great job as to setting the foundation for their properties moving forward. And I, I'm, I'm psyched. This should be a really fun show.
5: Well, one more quick thing. Much like Five and the Association and, the, and um, Umbrella Academy, I want to know not only where is the TVA, but when is the TVA? Good point.
3: So, okay. Gentlemen, how do you know that before Loki... Grabs the Tesseract and disappears. The timeline wasn't operating as it was supposed to. That's going to be that's going to be their argument. Is that what was happening was what was supposed to happen? What wasn't supposed to happen was the time heist wasn't supposed to fail the way that it did. Ergo, that put two stones into play at different points, splintering the timeline. That's my theory. I don't know that it's a, a workable theory. Here for me, so I've talked about this comic before on this show. The TVA reminds me a lot of the character known as the Time Broker from the Exiles comic, which was a Judd Winnick comic uh, written in the early in the early two thousands. X-Men playing quantum leap where their whole job is to fix various realities that have gone wrong and the way they would do it is they would pluck people whose reality has been altered and give them the opportunity to kind of fix their own timelines by repairing other ones so to me it's it's an interesting take is for me the time the tva thing very much is is what the time broker was for a long time in the marvel universe Uh, i'm excited for this like i said because I think that there's going to be a lot of, I think it's it's going to rely a lot on good dialogue and banter. I think that there there may not be as much action necessarily, or at least the same sort of action as what we're used to out of other Mar- Marvel series. I, I do know that Tom Hiddleston is a hell of an actor. I know Ellen Wilson is a pretty good, damn good actor too. And I'm hoping they sneak some cameos in there from so, some oldie Avenger greats that we love just here and there. Cause I think it'll be fun. And I think there's a real opportunity to do so. Tony, anything to add before we go to a commercial break? All right. Seeing a no. Then before we go into the recorded commercials, of course, it is my duty to remind you that if you love what we do here on Bandwagon Nerds and if you love what we do on the Chair Shot Radio Network to head on over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot and buy a shirt. You could buy a shirt like the one that Ray Cash is wearing right now that says Jesus did the job and his dad was the booker. You could get a bandwagon nerd shirt. You could get a, um, sorry, a winner's you shirt. You could get a hashtag save tag team wrestling shirt and many, many more. Get it in your traditional t-shirt style or if you're feeling fancy, spend a little bit extra and get it soft style. We take a lot of pride in giving you quality entertainment, quality podcasts, quality news, and we want to be able to keep you that, giving that to you. And the best way to support us is by heading over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash The Chair Shot. Again, one more time, that's ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash The Chair Shot. When we come back, we're going to talk about a special attraction opening in Disneyland, and we're going to go back to this concept of the mini series. As a stri- on a streaming service, and whether that is a good thing or a bad thing, you're listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the thechairshot.com.
2: Welcome to the greatest sports entertainment spectacular of all time. Welcome to WrestleMania.
1: Hey folks, BC Tony here. Make sure you're checking out Mania Madness every Friday afternoon on thechairshot.com. Christopher Platt and a rotating list of guests go through every WrestleMania one six-pack at a time. Check it out every Friday only on the ChairShot Radio Network. And we are back.
3: That was a long commercial break. WrestleMania Madness. Mania Madness has concluded, by the way. No more Fridays of Mania Madness. They wrapped up their last episode. Uh, It was quite the episode. For those of you who haven't catched, I didn't catch it. Please go back and catch it. There was a lot going on there, gentlemen. Uh, a A couple of the culprits are... On this show, I'm seeing some gestures and claiming that maybe there were some some alternative substances involved, some liquid courage, if you will.
1: One of the funnest people I've ever podcasted with joining the show, and one of the funnest people Chris has ever parted with joining the show. So anytime you get Danny Hardcore Hunman involved in a podcast, you're going to have a good time, whether it's doing the podcast or listening to the podcast. And yes, we... Maybe what not Dave, but me, Danny, and Platt got pretty ripped on a Monday evening. So if you want to hear something special,
3: give <laughs> oh, it's, it's special. Get the final episode of Mania Madness. A listen. Uh, congratulations on all that work, though. That's a, I, you know, that's a labor of love and a half. Because thirty-six WrestleManias, especially on Peacock, now that you have to sit through extra commercial breaks, um, it's. I, I'm impressed.
1: First of all, Dave was there for five out of the six of them, so he knows the labor that me, him, and Platt did a lot of work there. But luckily for me, the last thing I'll say about it is uh, I the first 30 I watched on WWE Network, and it made it a lot easier when they break it down to a skip to this match, skip to that match.
3: That is true. I'm going to miss that feature. And Peacock, he got a lot of work to do.
1: Amen. Right?
3: Oh, my God. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation what I want to talk about is actually something near and dear to Dave's heart. Because Dave's the only one amongst us who can participate in this. News dropped this week that on June 4th, the long-anticipated Avengers Campus will be opening at Disneyland in California. Was it is it California Adventure? Is that where it's going, Yep. Dave? DCA, as so, we like to call it. So I know absolutely nothing about California Adventure. Here's what I will say. The things that I've read about what this campus is going to entail. Now, it is going to incorporate some already existing uh, Avengers slash Marvel. It's a, is it a Marvel campus or it is it an Avengers campus? I can't remember. It's, it's, Avengers,
4: it's Avengers campus. And the only aspect that kind of exists or previously existed was um, Guardians of the Guardians. Galaxy mission breakout, which used to be the Hollywood Tower of Terror, which is a whole nother debate talk to my son sometimes about why he likes tower of terror better than what they revamped it to. But yeah, there it's going to be Avengers campus located right in that general hub.
3: So here's, here's one of the things that, that I remember. Cause there's a, there's a couple of thematic elements that they put in there that they mentioned. It looks like there's going to be some sort of Ant-Man thing. Um, the, there's a themed restaurant um, based out of Dr. Strange. I want to say, yeah, they, got the, they
4: got the Sanctorum there. They've got, um, it looks like they're going to do shawarma palace where you can get shawarma out there. They've got
3: Shwarma is good, by the way, I actually tried that because of the Avengers. They've like, got
4: a, a, a pimtech tech kitchen that they're going to be doing as well. They got a lot of Avengers that, you know, they're going to have interaction with the Avengers uh, uh, characters. It's almost kind of rise of the resistance, like which of course, Patrick's the only one of us who has written that, but they kind of give you a role and, and, and you play along. There's a bit of role playing involved in the whole Avengers campus thing. From what I understand it, that's where they used to have like, uh, it's a bugs life. They used to have a land devoted to that and they pulled all that out and now it's going to be Avengers campus. So yeah, they leaked some photos, uh, Disneyland did or Disney.com went wait, wait, Disneyparks.disney.go.com leaked a lot of photos of what it looks like in there. And it looks Really awesome, so yeah, we're real, real excited out here to to see so, it.
3: So, so does it does it look better than? And I'm already going to forget the name of the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Like uh, if you had to two up against each other, I
4: think Galaxy's Edge is probably bigger than because I'm I'm real. We're very familiar with DCA California Adventure.
3: Any any truth to the rumor? of the fully animatronic Spider-Man that can be spotted swinging around from building to building throughout the campus. Apparently
4: verified that this is, this is true. Really,
3: That's what I've heard. That. Okay. So you're going to be walking around and you're going to be able to see Spider-Man like swinging by. Why are you funny? Tutty? Well, it was,
1: I no no, I just need to describe like your facial reaction to your, like, like now you're on board. Like it was a moment in time that happened. Like, we always talk about we should have a video for for a lot of the stuff we do, and we're working on starting to play with that. But just the moment we could see the the click in your brain when it happened, Enjoy. and it was so fun and cool for me to see that. You're just like, okay, so
3: so this this is, this <laughs> is better. Than Galaxy's Edge. So,
1: so right. we got a mechanical so Spider Man. Holy is shit! Straight right?
4: from the site. I'm quoting because I'm, I'm looking right at it. You may even have the chance to witness Spider-Man swinging into action high above Avengers Campus with gravity-defying acrobatic feats never seen before in a Disney theme park. There you go, Pat. And it's Straight not a person. The...
3: That's that's the thing is it's not a
4: costume person, right? right? Like right. that's yeah. As far as I know, it, it, it'd be great. So if, it would be the, hope. It would give you hope be? if it was. How in the world is
3: it that we haven't figured out how to settle other planets when we can make fully functioning animatronic Spider Man? Can we get the Imagineers on this shit right now? Get them and Matt Damon together and let's figure out how to settle them <laughs> all right? Let's figure it out. Yeah, because
5: Mike.
4: They're going to be doing the uh, Doctor Strange, the, the Sanctum Sanctorum, where he's going to be training the kids in the uh, Mystic Arts, which will be very much like what they do on at Disneyland or Disney World, for that with matter. The with the, with the Jedi, yeah, exactly. So that's what yeah. that's what I imagine they're going to be doing over there. So that's going to be a lot of fun for the kids. It's going to be, and of course, you got the little spider bots will be. Readily available. Yeah, I'm still waiting for my spider bot, Dave. Yeah, I know.
3: I thought yeah. I thought you were gonna come through for me on that. I'll <laughs> give you the hundred and twenty dollars. It's not a big That's, deal. I want a spider bot. I don't
4: think, I don't, I don't think it's that expensive anymore. It's um, well, you need two spider bots because you need to be able to fight each other. Right. But it's it's a big deal. I mean, this is something that when the pandemic came along and shut everything down, it wiped out the opening of that last year. So, but it's good that Disney wasn't just sitting on their ass doing nothing. They were working diligently. Now they've got this ready to go. Um, California is one of the states that apparently is not having problems with COVID cases rising again. So it's all very encouraging as to where we are. And just, I think they open on April 30th, Disneyland reopens.
3: Californians only, right? Like you have to be, you have to prove that you're a resident of California it is to
4: go. Because my wife is the biggest Disney fan I know. And she monitors the site every day. For when those tickets go on sale, because she's going to quickly grab my credit card and buy them, and it, it's a it's an involved process. As she to doesn't it. already have it. Yeah, she already has it, but it's an involved process as to how they're doing it. Uh, it. It's like she can use my I don't know, but yeah, like you're saying, it's it's they're limiting it to Californians for now. Um, that's just their way of kind of monitoring what's going on. We don't want a lot of outside stuff coming in. This is how we can. Be sure that this is what's going on. Magic Mountain's doing the same thing. Uh, Universal just reopened last week. So they're reopening. SeaWorld's done the same thing. So, yeah, I know know it sucks for the people outside of the state. I get why they're doing it. They're just trying to control this. I mean, if anybody who knows what a struggle it has been, you know, Florida's been up and running for six months. And we've been trying to get Disneyland reopened or any of the theme parks reopened on some level forever. So... Anybody who knows the struggle has been to get to this point understands why they're doing what they're doing. I understand it's not so cool for the people outside the state, but when I get there, I'll be sure to send you guys pictures and video. How about that? And
3: finally ride the rise of the resistance.
4: Oh yeah, that's for sure. That's coming. I mean, if they're, I think they increase the capacity to 25% uh, for all the, nice. for most of the counties right now. So that's still, <laughs> you're going to be able to, to do rise of the resistance. I still, that's the one I want to do because, can't just be you, Pat. Great. Somebody else has got to ride the damn thing. Great, great, greatest ride I've ever ridden. Period. Yes. Any discussion? The greatest no. ride I've ever ridden, and I've never ridden it. So
3: now it is. They they are adding an they are adding an Avengers campus to Disney World as well, but it's like a year or two away, if I'm not mistaken. Is that is that correct? So yeah. I you can't go to Florida to see it just yet. Not yet. And I think it's going. It's going in the. Is it going on the Epcot area?
4: If I'm not, if I'm not trying- I would imagine they'd put it over in, in Hollywood Studios. That would seem to make the most sense for it, but I don't know that for sure.
3: Yeah, but you, I mean, you've already got Galaxy's Edge over there. You've already got Toy Story World over there. I don't know that you've got room for it. And I mean, again, yeah, because they haven't transformed. At least they hadn't when I was there. They hadn't transformed the Tower of Terror over to the Guardians of the Galaxy. So
4: yeah, I don't know if they're actually going to do that or not. So maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it does go to Epcot. Um, but I mean Florida. The thing about Florida is they've basically used maybe half of the land that they have out there for the yeah. park. They've got a lot of room to expand because there was there was a lot of work going
3: on when we were there in the Epcot area, and I seem to I really feel like that might have been the where they were putting it. Which there's not a lot to ride in uh, uh, in Epcot. Like there's like Epcot, and then you do the like the World Tour Loop and eat you know, worst.
4: Yeah. Epcot's not real ride heavy. It's more of the experience.
3: Right. Very much so. Okay. So I want to circle back on something. Actually, uh, I put it in the, I put it in the rundown, but Ray in talking about Netflix series, it was just very apropos that you talked about the opportunity to binge a series uh, because I shared an article with you guys uh, from the slash from slash that was critical of the release schedule of the Falcon and the winter soldier. Basically the argument basically boiled down to the once a week, six hour movie releasing where you're releasing an hour a week hurts the show. And the argument is, is built in the end, you know, and there's funny looks, the argument is built around the concept of, any momentum any momentum gained over the course of the episode is lost by the time you get to the end of the episode and have to wait an entire week for the next one. And this person's argument, it was interesting because they, they kind of lead with that. But then they're like, there are some shows where that's okay for. Like, they actually argued that WandaVision it seemed to work out well and they argued it was because of the thematic elements of each episode was a different era of television but they feel like the way the narrative is structured for the falcon and the winter soldier it almost would make more sense for it to be just drop all six so you could binge watch them all at once and get the whole story without having to wait in between uh and so i just thought it was really i thought it was a really interesting concept because i know we talked about it on the episode before Tony in particular, you were the one who said that it was partially. So it was just really interesting because Tony had mentioned it the week before that he, you really appreciated the, the episodic breakdown of the six hour movie because, and you even said it was par- partially probably because of the way that we analyze each episode that he gives us a moment to, to kind of look at it. But I guess, yeah, to, to the group, where where do we kind of lie on how these streaming services are giving us these shows? Are we team binge watch, drop them all at once, or do we like the episodic television? I'm going to go last because I I have my opinion. Ray, I'm going to kick you off. Why don't you Why don't you start?
5: Give me your thoughts,
3: and we'll just go around
5: the room. Well, I, I think both have a, a purpose. Um, I uh, I'm sure, like a lot of the society has gotten... I, I said this about when we were having our conversation about um, the whole changing of the the business model for movies. You can't go all the way far and then come back. You can only keep going. So now that we've gotten to the point where we have binge watching, I don't feel like coming back is... is necess- It works in certain situations, but I feel like once some, some people can't go back now. Um, so in the argument of, the conference, in the argument of what he's, that person is saying, I think the argument is stupid as hell. Because you can't ignore 100 plus years of television just because something worked for five. You know, it doesn't go away. Like, so bas- you're basically saying that all of cable TV is stupid because you only get one show a week. Like, that's a bit facetious. I understand that some stories may need to be told. Boom, 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 boom. But I think there's beauty in both ways. I think the more interesting conversation to me is how it's being recorded or being um, taped and why. We have some shows that are, are taped individually, different episodes, and they pick and choose this and that. And that sets a different feel of a show, whereas you have a show like Falcon and the Winter Soldier that was literally taped in sequential movie order. And you can feel the difference when you watch it. So I think that's more of a interesting conversation than binge watching versus once a week, because if you don't like once a week, then just don't watch TV because that's literally all you get on TV. So, you know, to, to like, are we that spoiled to where literally like three streaming services have popularized getting it all now where we have hundreds and hundreds of t- cable channels. That's still the overwhelming majority of us have. And the three usurped the hundreds, like are we there? Are we really like that like I need it right now? maybe we are i you you bring up a good point is if if you need to watch all
1: at once, then go go dig deep down and find some of that patience you should have and wait for them to stack up and watch them all in a row, right? if that's what you need, go ahead. My whole thing is is really simple i don't care how you do it as long as you do it well if the story's good and you take advantage of the structure in which you're using it to present it to me is is capitalized upon i'm good with it right because the brilliance of of what Zack snyder did with releasing his cut is it's broken into chapters so you don't have to watch a four-hour movie but you can if you want to
4: dave what about you well i think you and i are probably in the same camp a little bit pat that uh I tend to prefer the once a week thing just because like the binge, having the option to binge watch is great. But on the occasions, like an umbrella Academy is the, the show that we can talk about. Cause they released all that at once and we were binging that to get through it. And, and I just never felt like I kind of grasped the nuances of that series as much as say something like the boys or the Mandalorian or WandaVision for that matter. Uh, and, and for purposes of what we do on the show, it's a lot easier to handle one episode a week for sure than trying to summarize three and four and five episodes at a time like we've had to do on occasion. Uh, from from a fan standpoint, and for the those who are not patient out there, then yeah, I can see that binge watching is a great option to have. I call bullshit on any argument that it's the preferred and the better medium for storytelling, though. I, I don't buy that at all. I don't see that as as being true at all. It just seems like a a good solution for those with extra time on their hand who want to just envelop, engross themselves in it all at once. Fine. Great. There's a lot of us out there who like, man, I got other shit I gotta do, other than sit here for eight hours and watch this show. I can let me get I mean, I, I, I like I like the fact that for the ones that release it all at once, you've got that option. Fine, great. But it's just it's an easier it's easier to digest it's easier to process when it's just like i'm just handling one episode a week especially you got shows like falcon and winter soldier where it's like or like the boys where it would take a week of processing that shit just to reconcile yourself with what the hell did i just see how many heads exploded in that episode stuff like that you know it made it a lot easier in that respect so yeah i i I prefer the periodic let it come out once a week i think it's just it's it's easier to process. And I prefer that method of storytelling.
3: One of you uh, had some fun at my expense earlier in the show doing the little fist motion of the like old man yells at cloud. I'm going to have one of those moments right now because this isn't new storytelling. And that's what I thought was really interesting in the article. Part of me, like I saw what I, when I read this article, I wanted to be like, how old is this author? Because 13, I, well but here and here's why I ask because if you've like you know Ray you talked about it 100 years of like cine, uh, of episodic television for the longest time major networks did this it's called a miniseries in fact i think one of you called the falcon and the winter soldier a miniseries and the miniseries really hit its apex for television in the late 80s from like the late 80s through the early 2000s where nbc cbs abc every now and again they would just have a major television event and it would be a limited run series that would basically be a long movie we've talked about some of them on this show it it was a miniseries the original Stephen King's It. In fact, there were a, there were a bunch of Stephen King works that were made in a mini miniseries. Salem's Lot was made into a miniseries. Um Stand. The Stand was made into two miniseries. It was a done because it's it was one of the Paramount Plus uh, flagship miniseries that they put out there. The Tommyknockers Knockers was another s- miniseries. They just they did it frequently. There was a spate uh I think it was on NBC where they got really into fairy tale based miniseries and they did one that was they did the uh, 1001 arabian nights miniseries they did this miniseries that i own i went out and bought on dvd called the 12th kingdom it is a four episode miniseries uh, about fairy tales that i still like now that i've brought it up i'm like maybe i'll bust that out i enjoy watching it in its 90s tastic uh computer graphics with john larroquette as as a greedy single father good good stuff um so this isn't an unfamiliar storytelling device but it might be new to a generation of viewer that hasn't really had it as as normal if that makes sense i i probably more along the camp of episode by episode like i i don't necessarily i binge watch shorter shows like if like if i could binge watch the the mighty ducks series that is now like if, they, if disney released the mighty ducks um game breakers show all at once i would probably be able to sit down there because i find that those half hour ones are quickly easily it's easy for me to digest them watch them enjoy them and move on to the next one invincible it was really easy for me to watch those first three episodes our first four episodes because i started a week late uh, because they're a half hour long like just boom, boom, boom 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 Got him. And in fact, I need to watch the fifth one. I haven't watched it yet. Um, Cause I, you know, I, I just haven't had time as everybody else has thumbs up hoping to do that after we record the show. So yeah, I just, I guess for me, good, bad isn't really the right way to look at it. I don't think it does a narrative, any sort of disservice at all, though. I think that is a flimsy, flimsy argument at best because I'm excited and have anticipation for the next episode of the Falcon and Winter Soldier, I'm ready to get what happens next, and that's not going to wane. And maybe it's just because of who I am as a fan that it's not going to go away for me. But I think it it's I think it does a great job of building anticipation and getting people excited.
5: You, you want to know want to know why Netflix initially worked? See, uh, if I can be old man with the cloud, you young kids, sit down. I'm going to bring you back to a time when all you could do on Netflix was get DVDs in your mail. So, mm. you know, we, we see that and we hear that. And, and we've, all of us on the show remember that. But now we see that you can do whatever you want now. The beauty of Netflix isn't the new stuff. It's that you can go and binge watch series and all of their seasons. But you know what you can't do? You can't binge the current season. And I think that's the difference. Even Netflix knows that episodic shows or better, because they'll bring on the whole season when it's over, but like right now, a show I mentioned to you last week that I'm really heavy in is All-American. The whole reason I got into All-American was because I was bored, I was looking through, and it was like the number one show trending on Netflix. All right, cool, let me see what it is, and I got hooked. I watched three seasons, I watched, I think, two or three seasons in like three days. Got my kids involved with it. So now, when it comes on live on CW, it comes on Monday on Raw. I watch All-American first and then watch Raw afterwards on DVR because I'm so into it. But Netflix understands that, yeah, there's going to be people that want to see all of this when they have time, but the episodic stuff is what makes the money. So even in that regard, I think Netflix is ahead of the game and the young person, whoever he or she is, is missing that point. Right, so there you
3: have it. The uh, author of this article, their name was Josh Spiegel. Josh Spigel, you're full of crap and don't know what you're talking about. That is coming straight from the bandwagon
4: nerds. Thank you for playing. Now go sit in your corner. Josh Spiegel, you suck. You jackass.
3: Yeah, jackass. jackass.
2: <laughs> is mayonnaise an instrument? Wanna go jelly fishing? What am I supposed to do all day while you're at school? Can I use your bathroom? Who's your friend? What does claustrophobic mean? <laughs> you know what the problem is.
3: So, this week's question is going to wrap around to the way we kicked off the show and we're going to talk a little bit more WrestleMania. As we mentioned before, we're recording this on Sunday before night 2 gets started. One of the other things that the chair shot radio group did and follow us all on Twitter. If you have the opportunity, including following the Chairshot media, Twitter handle, we had quite a fun time just sort of conversing about WrestleMania as it took place, live tweeting the show, probably like a lot of other podcasting groups do, but we're better because we're special. Greg DeMarco at one point brought up a, a point or uh, brought up a statement during the Sasha Banks, um Bianca Belair match where he talked about the match being more than just a great match that it was great storytelling and that it was telling a great story and that really for me Dave had asked me on chair shot radio what were impact what was an impactful storyline or what was impactful to me out of Wrestlemania and I just wanted to kind of bring this full circle because the one thing i think wrestlemania does with its matches is that you can pick just about any wrestlemania you're going to find at least one match with a terrific story and for each of you i want you to take a moment i'll go first save you a little bit of time but what are a couple of your favorite wrestlemania stories that you saw play out at wrestlemania what matches would they be for me, there's there's really three. I shared one on Chairshot Radio on Sunday, and that is the main event of WrestleMania Five, the culmination of the Mega Powers exploding. Uh, Macho Man Randy Savage versus Hulk Hogan. That match is not gonna set any records. It's not Jack Briscoe versus Ric Flair by any stretch of the imagination. But the story that was told in the ring and the story that was told leading up to that match will forever sit with me. I will never let it go. Number two, don't laugh. The model Rick Martel versus Jake the Snake Roberts blindfold Blindfold. match. WrestleMania 7. That match was not meant to look good. It was not meant to be... It, it was not meant. It was not meant to be some great work of wrestling. It was all about Jake getting his opportunity to get his revenge on Rick Martel after Rick blinded him with arrogance to the face, and the whole crowd, as a unit, buying in to the blindfold concept and cheering when Jake pointed at him, and making no noise at all when Rick Martell would try to do it. Like thousands of people, silent as he's trying to find Jake Roberts is so, so great, great stuff. And then what I kind of realized is low key, my favorite WrestleMania, or at least in my top five WrestleManias of all time. WrestleMania 24. I'm sorry. I love you to me will forever be one of the greatest stories told in a ring to, to this day. Still, I don't care that Rick wrestled after WrestleMania 24 for, for impact and, you know, all kinds of other places it's still such an emotional match it's such a great story Shawn michaels not wanting to do it not wanting to take out his idol and yet can't bring like can't bring himself to lose because that's not what rick would do is to me it's just it's storytelling at its greatest and for me will forever be etched as one of the greatest stories ever told in the ring on one of my favorite wrestlemanias of all time Dave, I'm going to let you kick this one off. Some great stories that you have from various WrestleManias that you love.
4: Well, the Mega Powers storyline, yeah, we talked about it yesterday. That's number one. And nothing's going to come close to that. That's the best one. Uh, Austin Rock leading into WrestleMania 17, probably I'd put number two. That was That was a tremendous story leading into that as far, you know, with two guys that popular colliding at the same place at the same time. And, and I'd say probably, like, the other one is, it's not just one WrestleMania, but it's a, a four-year story arc that they told with Shawn Michaels, Triple H, and Undertaker. That is, I mean, it, it's comparable to the Mega Powers thing. It's not a one-year build. It, it, it really was a four-year build. Now Whether they meant to do it that way or not, I don't know, and I don't care, because the way it came out in the end was those three guys, the last, basically the last guy standing from their era running this tremendous storyline and Sean retiring and, and and you know, all that stuff. I mean, that is probably, you know, it's one of those ones that you got to kind of pull back and look at it as an entire body of work to say, wow, they really killed that thing. And I, I, you know, shout out to uh, John Cena and The Rock. That, what they did for leading into 28 was very good. Was very, very good. The next year, not so much, but 28, very good. The once in a lifetime, they should have left it at once in a lifetime.
5: Um, well, since we're all kind of using three, um, end of an era for sure. But I want to specifically talk about WrestleMania 28, the Hell in the Cell match, because the build to that story is, I think, one of the most clever builds ever. Um, I've been very vocal about my disdain for the streak becoming bigger than the show. And I love the fact that this match was built on the back of Taker wanting to beat Triple H and not the other way around because Triple H lost at 27, but left him laying. He had to get stretched out of the arena. I thought that was a really cool flip on um, the story. Um, also, if I um, move on to the next one, the match that got me, that made me, the match that solidified the fact that I was going to be a wrestling fanatic for the rest of my life, and that's Tyson, Austin, and Michaels, WrestleMania 14. That's, the, that's what got me involved. That's what got my grandparents back into watching it. That's when I knew I'll never, I'll never have a moment in my life where this isn't super important to me. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Kofi Mania. I mean, for a person like me, for a dude who grew up wanting to do three things, either be a doctor, be a basketball player, or be a wrestler, I knew I could do two. I knew I could do two. I didn't think I could ever be WWE champion, no matter how much I wanted to be. And now there are kids like me, much like there were kids like my daughters who saw what Bianca did last night or Saturday night. And they can say, I can do that now. That it, 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 the, the pride I feel when I think about that match, the tears that I was crying last night watching Bianca legitimately, like not like a tear, like, like a baby because of what that means for me, my family and people like me and people all over the world. But it just means that now anybody can do this. And it was never that case. And now, especially a guy like Kofi Kingston, a kid from Ghana who's 215 pounds, anybody can do this. So those are the three. Yeah,
3: you you missed our – we did talk a little bit about WrestleMania night one uh, to kick off the show. And one of the points uh, that I did make was that show was bookended – in a, and what I think was a very specific way with the two people standing tall at the beginning and end of that. And as I mentioned before, that wasn't for me, uh, that, 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 that beginning and end was not for me. So Tony, what about you?
1: Uh, WrestleMania six, Hogan establishing warrior as another top guy. Um, that, that was quite a, a good build to that all year. It was, it was the first time I remember getting to watch WrestleMania live as a kid, huge warrior fan, uh, I believe it's twenty-two Edge and Foley in the hardcore match. Mm, the uh, it's too. a match that gave that gave Mick Foley his WrestleMania moment, and it's a match that solidified Edge as another major player at the top of WWE's roster. And then let's just throw out there one of the more entertaining ones that happened in the run that he would go on afterwards: the Seth Rollins and then the Heist of the Century coming in and with the money in the bank and being the one surprise everybody to walk out with the championship at WrestleMania. So those are three of my favorites for sure.
3: Excellent. And the dogs agree. So, all right, excellent, excellent, excellent. Great contributions, everybody. I love it. That's going to do it for this week's edition of bandwagon nerds. Before we get out of here and settle in for WrestleMania night two, which is just three hours away for us. East coasters. Well, for all of us, Tell everybody where they can find you out there on the interwebs. Let's kick this week off with Mr. Ray Cash.
5: Uh, well, first off, let me say you can find me at it's Ray Cash. R-E-Y as in Mysterio, C-A-S-H as in dollars. But I feel like if Tony will allow me, and if you, if all of you allow me, I, I want to make an announcement. Okay. You guys, you guys have had the privilege and the honor for the past six weeks to ingest. Mania Madness by Mr. Tunney, Mr. Platt, Mr. Ungar, and various friends. We're gonna continue that um, theme of having um, more themed episodic shows, according to what we're doing. Hopefully, starting next week with with next week, starting next week with myself and my Outsiders Edge OG compadre, Mr. Carl Irvin, as we debut a new series called the Total Package Series. And it is, uh, we are breaking down what makes a perfect wrestler. We have multiple categories that we rank every wrestler in. And we break down the top ten by that criteria. And by the end of the series, we will tell you who the number one wrestler in WWE is according to the criteria. Check that out. Look for it. This is the first time it's been announced on air. I'm super excited. So breaking news. Breaking news. And uh, trust me, we'll tweet the date out when we know we're going to drop it because uh, I'm proud of it. And I love the fact that we here at the chair shop continue to not only give you our regular fantastic content, but we continue to elevate, change the game and give you new fresh stuff. And uh, let's keep it going. So thank you for allowing me to say that. Check that out.
3: Sure. Before we move on one other thing, check out Ray's debut bandwagon nerds column flying solo that you wrote last week. Talking about race in the MCU and particularly in the Falcon, the Winter Soldier. Congratulations on that. Good work, sir. Thank you.
5: Thank you, sir. Thank you.
3: All right. PC Tunney.
1: You can follow me at PC Tunney. Continue to listen to the Chair Shot Radio Network. And, uh, yeah, I hope everybody enjoyed WrestleMania. And just so you know, as we get into the leaner wrestling months in the summer, you always got bandwagon nerds. (laughs) Idiots. These dogs, man. just...
4: (laughs) It's like, what the fuck? They, their timing is impeccable.
3: Again, again, I, in, in, a, in a we need a camera sort of moment, you muting your microphone and yelling at the fucking dog.
4: Yeah, that awesome. would be perfect. I, I'm just genuinely excited that Ray is going to be doing an entire series about Lex Luger, man. That is going to be so awesome. The total package. Yeah, baby. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at attitudeag, That is at Attitude A-G-G. And on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. Yeah, and, and check out the latest episode of the show where Ray Cash and I do a little Midnight Madness. and Midnight, 3
5: a.m. Eh. Eh. What's the difference?
3: And I said, baby, it's 3 a.m. I must be alone. Oh, just kidding. You can find me on the Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. You can catch me, of course, every Sunday morning with David Ungar on the Chair Shot Radio. Make sure you listen to that every week. It drops every morning around 5 to 6 a.m., depending on which service you listen to. You can check out Bandwagon Nerds every Monday with the gentleman that you've just been listening to, and you can also catch me every Wednesday with Craig DeMarco and Miranda Morales on the Babyface Heel podcast. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Now get yourself out of the basement, but don't get some sun. Make sure you watch WrestleMania tonight, or sorry, last night, and then you watch every replay. It was a hell of a show. It was a historic show and it was worth your time. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the chairshot.com. <laughs>
2: the champion against the challenger. The irresistible force meeting the immovable object. Look at the size of the giant. I mean, Hogan is six foot eight. Andre is seven foot five. Rub it in. Another spear by the warrior. You know, Monsoon, there can't be a winner. Whoever stays says whoever leaves leaves but the call of this man look at this it's a- oh my god no and the rock is he gonna do it not the third time the third time the charge big one oh, Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania! Oh. oh, if Shawn Michaels is going out, he's going out. He's doing oh, Just said, "Oh man, <laughs> how did Rock, how did Rock kick out of that?" Who knows? Cena certainly doesn't know.